Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Bond from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. Today's passage comes from Proverbs 16, 17, and 18. Proverbs 16, verse 1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We're going to be talking about planning a lot today. Planning and you know, dreams and, you know, the, the things that, that uh, you, you know, you think you're going to accomplish, the things that you want to accomplish. Uh, the Word says that, that all of us have these sort of desires, everyone, the wicked, the righteous, you know, the simple, the scoffer. We all have these sort of plans. Um, they belong to us. But ultimately, what happens still belongs to God. Okay. And uh, it, that should keep us in a humble state, but also in a uh, grateful and in, in, in a state of adoration, uh, understanding that I can bring my plans before the Lord. And, and even for us as, as believers, we can bring our plans to the Lord. And then we can ask Him to establish the ones that are really His will, really His plan, really the things that um, would would glorify him, and then I can have peace in all the things that don't happen in my life because I can trust that God had something greater in store. I can. It's hard for me to imagine the regret that would that would, and the weight of the regret for people that are not able to walk with the Lord, or they they have not chosen to walk with the Lord, and how they must feel like. They've just missed the the mark so many times, you know, you know, well, I, I should have went to school, but out of high school, I didn't go to college. And then, you know, and then I started working and then, you know, and then, well, then I got a divorce. Well, then I didn't spend enough time with my children. And then I did, you know, and you know, just, just, just the regret. I mean, a lifetime full of regret, you know, uh, is, is the heaviest thing a person could ever carry. And it's a beautiful thing that for us who are in Christ, we have the opportunity to make our plans and then humbly submit them to the Lord, and then ultimately, ultimately walk in uh, joyfully whatever He chooses for the outcome to be. Right? Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so it says, the, the plans of the heart they belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from from the Lord. All of the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. I'm not going to talk about that verse just yet because I want to go to verse three. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plan will be established. For the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. So God doesn't waste anything, even even the wicked. God doesn't waste anything. He's so much bigger than our minds can fathom. So even in, even in even when there's wickedness that's present, even in these sort of situations, God doesn't waste anything. He uh, is able to have purpose out of everything. Nothing catches him off guard. Nothing is he surprised by. Um, he's able to just simply turn all things together for good. And so 
but the verse 3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So this, again, I want to, I kind of talked about what I talked about just a second ago so I could help better explain verse 3. When you think about commit your, your work to the Lord and your plans will be established, you basically think, well, if I give what I'm doing to God, then it'll work. That's a good, that's a good interpretation of that, right? If I give what I'm doing to God, then it'll work. Not necessarily. Commit your work to the Lord, meaning that the work that I do, I do it in commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Commit your work. Commit or submit your work to the Lord. Meaning, the work that I do, I do not for selfish gain, but I do for for the kingdom's gain. I do what I'm doing for the Lord Jesus. And therefore, the work that I was doing independently, I'm now doing in a co-laboring. I'm now co-laboring with God. And so my plans are established because we're doing it together. But the very fact that we're doing it together means that there are certain things that I'm going to attempt to do with him that he's going to decide, hey, since we're doing this together, we're not going to do this anymore. And he's going to steer you a different way. And there's going to be other things that you're going to come alongside him and do. And instantly, or even sometimes gradually over time, it's going to continue to get more and more and more fruitful. And the fruitfulness is only can only be exclaimed, uh, can only be explained because you're not doing this alone, but you have a heavenly partnership, right? So I should commit my work to the Lord, and then then my my plans will be established if they're His plans. If they if my plans. I bring my plans to God and I say, Lord, would you like for these to become our plans? (laughs) And if these can become our plans, then they're going to be established. But sometimes in the submitting of what I'm doing, uh, it doesn't become what we're doing. And I just choose to not do it anymore. Okay, so I just want you to understand wise people don't necessarily assume that I can just pray about anything or ask God to join me on any endeavor and it will become fruitful. It's not that way. And wise people don't think that. Wise people know that there are dreams and there are plans and these sort of things that come to their heart and they immediately seek to uh, do, uh, to, they immediately seek to invite God into the situation if it be His will and if they, and if they feel His presence in what they're doing, then uh, they commit themselves to the work, to the Lord, understanding that the moment that the Lord Jesus is brought into the situation, now my work is not unto man, but unto him. So I do it to the greatest, uh, to my greatest effort, right? And that alone would provide success. Even without the Lord's hand being on something, if you would just take the work that you're already presently doing and not do it unto man, or unto selfish gain, but if you would start mowing yards unto the Lord, and you would start working, you know, uh, the night shift unto the Lord, and you would start, you know, working in that factory line, or, or seeing your, your customers, and blessing them as unto the Lord, you know, then you would already, there would already be a, de- a greater degree of success that you would step into, because your, your level of excellency would become would become uh, would the, the standard at which you're working would be incredibly lifted. It wouldn't be about what you could get away with. It could be about what could what could you bring into your day to day life that would be a sweet smelling offering and sacrifice to the, the Lord your God. And then that would already cause you to your your work to be established. So it's just kind of 
different tiers of this, right? So if I start working to the Lord, my, my work is automatically going to improve, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, in theory, already become more successful, and I believe that. But then also, as I become to commit my work to the Lord, that means I'm going to start submitting my work to the Lord, which means that I'm no longer going to partner. Uh, I'm no longer going to commit myself to things that the Lord's not partnering with me on, right? And so uh, wise people understand that. Um, now, verse two is the one I wanted to touch, but I wanted I had to kind of jump over it for a second. So it says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So this is why that we cannot be righteous without the Holy Spirit. We have to have God's spirit inside of us, which, not, which enables us to be righteous. Because otherwise, a man or a woman, human, they have a really special ability to become righteous in our own sight, to become pure in our own sight. Meaning because we have the ability to justify just about anything, make an excuse for just about anything, to feel as though we're pretty good people. You know, if you ask people sometimes about their salvation, a lot of times they'll say, well, I've tried to be, I've been a pretty good person. You know, well, you've been a good person to whose standard? To your standard. Right? Well, your standard's not really relevant. Okay? God's standard is what's relevant. And according to God's standard, none of us have been really very good people. Not in the big, not in the big scheme of things, right? We've all made mistakes. We've all told lies. We've all thought incorrect thoughts. We've all been selfish at times. I don't want to, I don't want to be pure by my standard because that's not very pure. Right? I want to be pure by God's standard. You know, there's a standard for what, for what, uh, water, passes for as as drinkable in foreign countries right and um that standard is a standard that i don't want to drink of my water at and that's a that's a standard that they don't bottle and sell water at when you go out of the country you know there's so much in the water they say don't drink it right that that's kind of the standard that we come up with in our own sight right but then there's a there's a purer standard that god has and that's the one that we're to live up to is god's standard and uh, the only way we have any chance of that is by the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, because then I actually can feel conviction from His Spirit when I'm not meeting His standard, right? And no longer, and then and then what what begins to happen eventually, because I've been born again and His Spirit is is recreating me from the inside out, is that eventually my standard and His standard start to match up more. All right. And then it doesn't take a ginormous move of God for me to be convicted about something that I'm doing, but my very conscience becomes his conscience and I begin to feel his feelings. I begin to think his thoughts. And at that point, I'm able to to um, align myself with him and become pure as he is pure. Right. And it's a process of, of, of whether we're all in this journey of. Right. But we it's just another reason for why how, just for how much we need him. Because with, without him, we, we, we have no chance of being pure. Um, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And uh, that's fantastic. If we are just committed to pleasing the Lord, then the Lord pretty well says, I'm going to take care of everything else. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Um which is very true, you know, our highest pursuit should be righteous living. Wise people pursue righteous living more than they pursue anything tangible. 
The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And that's a similar verse to what we read in verse 3. Uh, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding, is to be chosen rather than silver? Again, wise people understand how great their need is to have greater wisdom. Verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We've heard this verse before. It's one of the worst conditions that the heart could ever be in is in a, is in a condition of pride. When, 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 our, when our hearts become filled with pride it is one of the most dangerous states. And the, the, you think of King Saul, you think of, of um, you know, just different people that you've even known personally. And when, the, when, the, when the, the, the most foolish state that we could ever get to is a state of pride, that's, that's, the, that's the state of being a scoffer. And at that and at that moment, people will typically fall when they feel as though they've got nothing left to gain. And so, uh, twenty four says, "Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body." And again, wise people choose their words carefully, and they understand that they can actually um, remedy and comfort and heal the very people that they surround themselves with by choosing their words carefully. 25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And again, that's another just verse kind of understanding that same concept of you can't trust that that that, that your ways are pure or that your ways are right. You've got to commit your work to the Lord, right? And, and um, under trust in His ways more than your ways. Um, whoever, uh, I thought there's a couple of verses about this. I try, I'm trying to hit every, like, you know, the Proverbs are repetitive, but there's, they phrase everything a little differently each time, but the same concepts of wisdom are, are found over and over again. So I'm just trying to at least touch on each one of them at least one time, best I can, as we go through all 31 chapters. So this is one we've read a couple of times already that I haven't had a chance to mention. But verse 30 says, Whoever winks his eye plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. So this is, this is actually the second or third time that we've read something um, about how um, basically uh, winking is, isn't wise. You know, and that, I just thought that was interesting. But the heart of it is, is that a wink is it represents uh, people that live in secret and things that are planned, you know, in secret and things that are implied but not spoken, things that are sneaky, right? And so ultimately they're saying we're to be a people that are that are far more open and transparent, um, you know, uh, about things and not planning uh, things. And really it's just a symbol of being dishonest saying one thing and doing another thing and uh and so that that's what the the wink is um and then it says uh verse 31 gray hair is a crown of glory it is gained in a righteous life and so just a reminder there of as we continue to age i think it's neat the the very you know a lot of times we dye our hair and we do all this i'm not against it i'm just saying it's funny because we sort of fight it so much the idea of aging but but god's uh outlook on it in wisdom is that we're earning those gray hairs 
we're we're actually um it's a crown of glory on your head meaning that the, that it's a crown of goodness on your head those gray hairs show the amount of time that the lord has been sustaining you right the, that shows the amount of breaths that God has filled your lungs with and the amount of heartbeats that have beat in your chest and the amount of testimonies that you possess and carry and the amount of breakthrough that you've experienced, right? We should actually be able to go and just find people with gray hair and know that they have got wisdom and testimonies to share of the Lord's goodness because they're wearing a crown on their head, (laughs) right? Of glory. And so, we shouldn't despise becoming older. We should just remember that it just, it just, those gray hairs symbolize, um, the moments that we've collected of glory in our lives. And, um, verse 32 is whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is, uh, uh, and he who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city. So, uh, again, uh, wise people are slow to anger. There's very little that's ever uh, wise. It's almost always foolish when we get angry quickly and act. So um, we should always be slow to anger, slow to speak. And then it says, he who rules his spirit is greater than he who takes a city. That's a powerful verse because basically it's saying wise people are more concerned with self-control than controlling other people and other things. And that's a powerful thing. I, I can't, you know, that's one of my... That's probably one of my greatest pet peeves when it comes to um, leadership. When you, you know, and of course, polit- poli- honestly, there, there hasn't been a politician that I've thought anything of in, uh, uh, well, my entire life. I don't know. I don't know of one single, you know, politician that I've ever met or heard that I thought very much of at all. Just being honest with you. I, I hope that doesn't offend you. But the reason why is because very rarely do they have any ability to control themselves, right? And, and one without any sort of self-control could never control a nation. They could never control a people. They can't even keep a seal on their own lips, their own actions, their own choices. What, what chance do they have of controlling, um, you know, a, a people? And, and so, you know, for that same reason, we need to understand that, that the first place of how can I lead my family is I can lead myself. First way of how I can run a business is I can control my own self, my own thinking, my own thoughts, right? It's it's from that place. It's greater for us to be able to rule ourselves than to be able to rule a people. Um, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife, right? So there's a peace is what should be pursued in our homes more than stuff, Um Verse 5, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will will not go unpunished. And that's true. We have to understand that all people were made by God. And so we can't insult people as though they're just people. They're not just people. They're children of the Most High God. Uh, Verse 6, grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers. We should understand that children are a gift and and children's children are are a gift. They have always in history been identified as rewards to those who are righteous to be able to see their generations pass them. And um, verse 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Um, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. 27 says, that was 22, 27 says, whoever restrains his word has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Again, understanding 
We have, we have to be people who choose our company carefully. We have to be people who choose our words carefully. You see, we have to be people that are prudent. We're wise. We choose our, we make our decisions, uh, and we choose our very words carefully. Um, I love this one. I wish I would have saved a little more time to talk about it. 18 verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I've got a new one here today. Wise people are not isolated. Wise people do not isolate themselves. We were made for community. God made Adam. He said, it's not, this isn't good that man be alone. And he made Eve. Isolation is, is a place of foolishness. And uh, in isolation, can isolation becomes a breeding ground for almost every kind of sin. Really, it does, uh, because the, the, we were we literally weren't made to live in that sort of a way. So when we get into that environment, um, things start to break down. You were not made to be isolated. You need to be around people. Now you can have your moments when you're when you separate yourself for times of prayer and of the word. You can have moments when you separate yourself to be alone with your spouse. You can have moments when you separate yourself to be alone with your children. But the moments in which we spend in pure isolation, just ourselves and not with the Lord or as someone near to us, those moments should be very few and far between, right? And so we need to be, when you think about choosing your company, a lot of times we, we think of that as just making sure that you're not always around the wrong people. There's also a real call to make sure that you're just very often around the right people. And um, so then it says, uh, let's see, verse 14, uh, man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Basically, there's nothing worse. It reminds me of it's a wonderful life. There's just nothing worse than being discouraged, right? Um, wise people. Um are people that 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 are uh, hopeful. Uh, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Right? And a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Okay, so few, three concepts there. Again, wise people choose their words carefully. Uh, not just that they try not to speak words of death, but they act- actively speak uh, work, they actively seek speaking words of life. The second thing is, is that we have to understand that our spouses are gifts to us given by God. Wise people know that and wise people treat them as that way. Okay. Uh, and then the third thing is, uh, it's not necessarily wise that we just surround ourselves all the time with a lot of people and we have many companions, but that we find certain people that are with us that are that'll stick to us closer than than brothers and sisters even would so we want to make sure that we have people around us that truly deeply care about us and love us and so that's what we're seeking towards in wisdom as being people of prudence people that are careful and selecting what we do what we say and where we go